the south. They got you eating Hoppin' John for good luck. But for bad luck, you got my mouth because you're here listening to Talkin' Don. Not Arky, as in this is a hairy home companion. And no, you're not getting 12 grapes like in Spain. You get a hellscape and are in pain. And no marzipan pig for you like in Germany. Cause you're getting scars and wigged out. Because this is a toast to the New Year's from your toasted hosted gay Lombard dope, if you will. Uh, because aside from being gay, my other problems include being her suit, cute, and incredibly stoned. Each episode, I try my damnedest to host a nice little comedy talk show while more wasted than 80% of New Year's resolutions by February. In order to combat those devastating statistics, I have pledged to use my New Year's resolution for good and for the betterment of all humanity by sticking to this very, you know, difficult one of uh, don't enter any hot dog eating competitions. And here's the hoping I make it. Uh, anyways, depending on the weed in the mood, I can do each segment no problem. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I'm a little worried if I'm going to be able to handle not entering any hot dog eating competitions. Um, and, uh, yeah, other times, uh, like in life, when, you know, maybe you do enter a hot dog eating competition, you're like, this is it, this is my chance. Well, maybe, like this show, you won't be able to make it through, and who knows how it'll end up, or where any of this will go, really. That's that's why you gotta stay away from hot dog eating competitions, because where does it go? And it will impact your health negatively. Much like listening to this show, I guess it's a lose-lose situation. No matter where you go in this Monte Carlo we call life, um, and, uh, but in a gesture to fairness on the universal scale, because, like I said, doing this New Year's resolution is for the greater good. Um, and, um, and, and because I have that power, you know, to improve humanity's, uh, outlooks, I guess I'll be an Oscar martyr. Oh, well... Yeah, I won't. I won't do that. Instead, uh, I'll I'll do the show. And uh, one 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 thing I can do, one step I can take towards making this New Year's resolution uh, come true is by reading from the script. And that is why we start off each show with retractions and corrections. Because like you can see, uh, there's a lot of problems when you or me doing a radio show stone because you thought it was a good idea. Um, it, uh, you have to do attractions and corrections a lot because it is where I correct mistakes, answer questions brought up in the previous episode, but, or tell you what I was trying to say in last week's segment but was too high to get through to this week's retractions and corrections. Um, the Jolly Green Giant does not wear pants. Uh, I stand corrected. Uh, next correction. The novel that would best explain how my time in Spain uh, would be, by Ernest Hemingway, would be a farewell to arms, because they're going to get ripped out somehow. 
I, yeah, this is just how my life goes. I have, I'm, I'm not gonna have a, the, you know, the pain in Spain will mainly be in my brain. It's gonna be a hard time. I just have real bad luck. I wouldn't have good luck. If I don't got good luck, good luck in Oakland, how am I gonna have good luck in Spain? So if things go the way that they usually do, you know, I'll have to do some, some, you know, I guess reparenting, some old man in the sea section kind of stuff. Cause I'll be having a real Ernest Hemingway of a time, even though I'm trying to have a nice time and relax and have fun. But it's always, something always goes horribly wrong. Uh, anyways, uh, much like the show and the rate at which I'm doing retractions and corrections, which I will now correct. I made some real bad mistakes I gotta atone for, like I feel like a jerk now. And one of those ways that I have, see this is why I had to do the really, you know, important, difficult uh, New Year's resolution to compensate for all the wrongs and harms I've done. It's time to atone, especially for the mistake I made last week, which was claiming that look who's talking. Uh, is set during Christmas. No, it's baby geniuses that is set during Christmas. Uh, but I don't think, I don't know if it's like a Southern California, maybe, I don't know if I want to revisit this. Uh, but I guess I'll have to because I don't know if they're like, it's a Southern California Christmas. Um, and that's why it's just sunny and bright out. Like they're in Orange County. They're, they're you know, very Mediterranean. Ernest Hemingway would have loved it there. He'd be like, ship all my six-toed cats down there to Irvine and, uh, you know, movable beast. Move them down there. That's what he'd do. He'd love it. Yes, he had six-toed cats for some reason, but we'll never find out wh- uh, why. I mean, I guess next week, because that'll be a retraction and correction. See, you see how these things accrue. You see how it builds up. It's madness. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, they don't, I don't, or maybe it's just like, there's some exterior shots and look who's talking. No, damn it, baby geniuses. I don't, no, wait, see this, also, this is how it happens. But yeah, baby geniuses, uh, I don't remember if the exterior shots that are like, it's Christmas have snow in them or not, or if it's just like flashing lights, which would indicate, you know, a, a, a Christmas in the Mediterranean climate. And so, is it a southern, you know, is it SoCal? Is that where they are? And that, because that makes sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I will have to investigate. Uh, see, oh, the, maybe this New Year's resolution I've done for myself is too tough. I gotta think of something. I'm already having to suffer so much. Um, anyways, uh, next retraction and correction. Uh, you know, the song Clang, Clang, Clang with the trolley from Meet Me in St. Louis does, like, actually line up with the ending of Dr. Zhivago when, you know, you think about it. And I might have accidentally figured out, like, a new kind of Wizard of Oz, Dark Side of the Moon type thing, you know? Also involving Judy Garland. She has powers, yes. The prophecy's been fulfilled. Maybe she was the real Wizard of Oz. 
along the way. I don't know. It's, that's but it's weird. But yeah, the ending of Dr. Zhivago, literally the same. Like, he's on a trolley. His heart zings. He falls because he sees Lara. And you know what? That was a good time where you can just make movies and be like, uh, Omar Sharif, most handsomest man I've ever seen. He's just gonna play white guys now. Like, he's gonna. That Omar Sharif would absolutely be Nikki Arnstein or a Russian scientist. I mean, you know, there are different minority groups in uh, Russia, but I don't think that applied to Dr. Zhivago. Because I think you're supposed to think of him as like a regular old Russian white guy. And that was a great time in cinema. Bring that back. As a Middle Easterner. I approve. Sometimes it's how us play the white guy. We don't always have to be terrorists. Or a lesson where you learn about tolerance uh, or something like that. Um, so yeah, just let us play the white guy every once in a while. Uh, the next retraction correction is a totally different color because uh, the, the uh, flames of Snapdragon the Victorian Christmas game where you would light a bunch of brandy on fire and then, you know, you would put a bunch of raisins and uh, grapes and nuts in there and then you'd grab them out and eat them while they were still on fire. Um, it was called Snapdragon. Uh, yeah, I was right. The, the flames of the ignited brandy uh, we're blue, and this is very important information for you to hear on Booze Beer's Eve, I guess, because New Year's is when people really get touched, you know, in touch with the Bacchanalian roots, and they get really wasted. Don't drink and drive, I forbid it. Um, but yeah, I always get, I always feel bad on New Year's because, uh, it's like a genetic thing. It's like how some people are like, cilantro tastes like soap. And everybody else who's lucky, like me, says, no, it's, what are you talking about? I'm so sorry. Wow, you'll never get to experience. I feel really bad for that. I mean, especially as an Iranian, like, that's like a vegetable to us. So we, we really enjoy it. Uh, and so I'm like, I, I'm sorry for your loss. Well, uh, people are also sorry for my loss because I guess there's like a genetic thing where it's like 50% of humans, alcohol is like sometimes it tastes good, sometimes it tastes bad, sometimes it's neutral. You you have a varied time and then 25% are like most fabulous, wonderful thing, tastes really good. And then I'm the 25% where it like tastes really bad. And then like every time it's New Year's, I'm like, I have to bring my Martinelli's. And everyone's like, oh, you know, like you're a baby. <laughs> like you idiot. Like have you tried drinking alcohol and figured out what tastes good? And I'm like, yeah, I've literally like tried a little sip of everything. And then I go, well, you know, like it just, and uh, you know, it's, it's embarrassing. And it, 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 everyone thinks like, you you haven't you didn't try and I'm like well you know what I was coming of age and a young adult and the era of it was of it being very sexy and cool and important to drink I craft IPAs you know before it was something that you are allowed to mock I had to mock it privately because people get real fucked up about it and I would get dragged around 
lots of breweries all over. And I one time they they let they uh they they took me to one and they're like, okay, this is gonna be the beer that's gonna change your life. You're gonna love it forever. Cause it takes ten years to make and like some kind of real like monk like monasteries are involved. It's very important. And then it'll change your life. And then I, they, they took me there. We drove like two hours to wherever it was. I don't remember. And then uh, I I get to the bar and they're like, they're like, you're here for the beer. And I said, I, I guess so. And then they gave me some and I just went Bleh. like, and I just was like, I'm sorry. And then I explained and they're like, you know what? Usually this is like a billion dollars because your push your your friends are like you gotta do it it's gonna it's gonna cure what ails you the ale will cure what ails you and uh it didn't i was just my friends were sham friends and i was in real pain that was the champagne i well i guess the pain was from attempting to sham myself into thinking i could be cured you know uh but yeah i was there wasn't champagne the booze tasted bad and the people were like yeah here you're you're fine I'll, I'll, I'll you don't have to pay money for that uh, that's it's all right it's on the house it's spilled on the floor don't worry about it and I was like thank you for not making me pay money because I think it was supposed to be some very fancy rambia uh oh god I just remembered another time of a uh, Halloween spent at a craft brewery and the early 2010s with you know people who drag you around places and you go and um uh I it was Halloween and I had been I, my Halloween costume was Charlie Chaplin and uh this is when I lived in Riverside and then people uh you know I got a very mixed bag of reactions to people assuming my Charlie Chaplin Halloween costume, I had a little bamboo stick and a bowler hat on. I I had baggy. I did the I did the walk, and everybody was like, "There's Hitler," and I just was like, "I can't. I don't know why I did this. I hate myself." And um, I I was at a brewery, and then they with my friends who were chugging down. IPAs and whatnot. I don't know. I don't care. I don't even know how weed works and I do a whole weed show and I I frankly don't want to know. I just want to know I'm gonna have a good time and like my brain's gonna work a little bit better after because that's how it works for me. It's a fabulous time. Uh, way to get inebriated. Uh, I recommend it. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, I, the, the, I was at the brewery and then the, 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 I was in line for like some food because that's the the breweries have the rarity of deep fried Brussels sprouts and I was like ah culinary delight unobtainable anywhere else well this is uh, that's why I'd go I'd want to get those things from the food truck where there was only one and you would look at it and be like wow that's so brave to you know put bougie food in a truck and truck it around town um and then uh yeah the people of the food truck saw me get the mixed reactions from the various people mostly negative and people were like you're an insensitive asshole and like i'm charlie chaplin and uh they were like hey 
I'm so sorry. That really sucks. You probably didn't think that was gonna happen. I'm like, no. And they're like, here, you get free food the rest of the night. And I, <laughs> I had to eat so well. They're like, you can just eat the entire menu. And I did basically. See, that's why I'm the high guy, not the try guy. Because this is a hairy home companion with me, Don Arky, on BFF.fm. I hate to admit. I put that show on in the background sometimes, and I'm like, why am I rewarding white mediocrity like this? I can't do it, but I have to, I'm like, I'm visiting my straight friends. We're having a good time. Like I said, gay Lombardo. Uh, I, I, I don't really know any straight people, to be quite frank. Like, I, 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 so I, I sometimes like to live la vida loca and see some, some guys, and see my pals, you know, you, you, maybe a couple repressed ones amongst them, but that's what makes it fun, you get to go on little repressed homosexual adventures, I used to take people on those and be on other people's all the live long day, and that was also the time where the IPAs were involved, so it was just horrible and boring for me because I was always getting probably if I'm a, someone else's repressed homosexual adventure and dragged around to different breweries and having to be sober and like being very frightened of smoking weed so I'd be very sober surrounded by very inebriated people and I'm like great this is like a way to mama tame being I'm bored this is boring and so you know I I deserve uh, every, every every high radio show I get to do, quite frankly, this is compensation, real time. <coughs> because like the most excitement I gotta have was like a real life, you know, the great dictator type situation happened on Halloween, but where everyone was mean to me, and uh, that was you know that was the most exciting thing that happened to me there. It was awful. They try to make me have a beer float. And I'm like, I don't know why you think ice cream would make it any better. And like, whenever I did try to drink, the, the thing I tried to drink was Manischewitz. Uh, Cause for some reason that was like, you know, uh, that was like a, the one thing I could kind of bear and kind of deal with. So I kind of became known for drinking that, like someone once was me for Halloween and uh, was holding a bottle of Manischewitz while wearing a really ugly, like kind of, I, I used to wear real dumb sweaters a lot. I was like Norwegian sweaters, fashionable, fun, given this kind of vibe I'm trying to, I was going for, you know, I have phases, I go through moods, but uh, anyways, anyways, and then another friend, uh, used to send me pictures of broken bottles of Manischewitz that he'd see in the gutter and he'd, he'd take pictures of, of them and send them to me and say it made me think of you. So that was nice and for some reason he came across those more often than you think. I think because of the time living in like Westwood and I'm like that sounds like us that sounds like Iranian specifically Jewish Iranian people like you we're all in LA and you can't spell a Chaim without LA baby apparently because he was finding broken Manischewitz bottles everywhere and I yeah I would get sent them pretty regularly uh, for a while and that that's what I would drink but speaking of Norwegian sweaters and a holiday 
inebriation. Um, this next retraction and correction is that I was kind of right, kind of wrong, that yes, there are historians and uh, anthropologists and mycologists, but maybe because they're in the pocket of like big mushroom or something, I don't know. And maybe that's why they're pushing this narrative that Santa might not just not be based off of pardon moi um a fourth century Greek Christian guy who got turned into the modern Santa we know and ha huh, like a reverse Omar Sharif situation okay ah well. Basically, yeah, the Dutch did that to him, and then uh, that—that's where, where where most people are like modern Santa. We—that's how he showed up. But there are other people, including uh, Harvard professors, not just any professor, an anthropologist, an esteemed mycologist that uh the sami the the traditions of the indigenous sami people uh of lapland which is in northern finland uh it, they might actually be the originators of santa because they had winter time rituals where uh they're the, 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 like they would dress up like the death cap mushroom because it was very holy fungus and uh they would go to people's houses and like there's flying reindeer involved too it all makes too much sense so somebody made a movie you know being like maybe maybe that's santa and you know maybe he doesn't live in below zero temperatures he's a portobello i you never know uh, and, uh, uh, speaking of the holidays and mistakes I gotta fix, this is my real, you know, this is a real Christmas story, unlike baby geniuses. Like, a lot of Christi Christmas stories have this redemption arc, so this is, this is much more, uh, ooh, baby geniuses didn't even involve that. I don't even know if there was a plot. All I know is that... They were like, when they did the trailer, I watched the movie. I don't remember what happened in it, but I do know that I watched the trailer at a point just to be like, it doesn't, I remember, cause this has been a quandary for me for years. Like, is it, is it, is it just like, there's some scenes where it's sunny and everybody's wearing, you know, linen suits. And it's real balmy, and then there's suddenly like exterior shots where there's snow. I don't remember, but I remember watching the trailer trying to figure this out because I've been wondering. And the only thing I remember from watching the movie is this part from a trailer where they're like, and the guy from Ally McBeal plays the dad. And I'm like, yes, I miss that era of the 90s where Ally McBeal or anything associated with it was a huge selling point. What an optimistic time. Uh, but anyways, so that I have moral content because clearly I am, like I said, an Oscar murderer. I'm not going to do the hot dog eating competitions. I am someone you can learn a lot from. And uh, by, by doing this noble deed of doing the next retraction correction, I will have my holiday movie redemption arc, uh, come true, because they don't call me Redemption Donna Arky for nothing. Uh, anyways, 
redemption arc for short. Uh, anyways, I will now re retract and correct this mistake I made that I feel is egregious. Um, and it, the mistake I made was claiming that the restaurant TJ's Gingerbread House was named after a song by Chuck Mangione. Uh, and this restaurant used to be... It was... I saw a video of an ad for it, which I really recommend you looking up, um, where... Uh, it shows the entirety of TJ's gingerbread house and it was like so cute so specific so beautifully like particular like just a very particular kind of eccentricity where it's just like yeah I love it no it's perfect like it was so magical and just so precisely so and like so just it was like almost an amusement park like you know if tj robinson could have the money i mean she probably did have the money it was a really successful restaurant uh as to like the point that chuck mangione used to go all the time and wrote a song about it and uh it's in oakland and it's uh, you know you can pretend you and she, she it was it was there up until 2007 and you know if you have the, it, the bart runs behind it but you could pretend that's like the monorail at disneyland like it does give it a very theme park quality it was just such a beautiful place that's not it is still there like there's a gate in front of everything but you can still see like the, the gingerbread house themed gazebo that was the new dining room that just opened that was an expansion because the original restaurant was only eight tables but there's like not a lot of information or images or things out there about it and you can still kind of see it because that's where the angel cakes bakery is and like someone someone's gotta figure it out because whatever I try looking up TJ's gingerbread house. This, it, it makes me sad that the only thing I see are reviews for Trader Joe's cookies. Like, I I think TJ Robinson seems like a really fascinating, beautiful, just like wonderful person. I want to see pictures of everything because especially everything was just so precise and just so. They had a wishing well. They they bring that up in the ad and they're like, it's a, this place is a real dream come true and it's a very particular dream. I just. I love it so much. I bet the bathroom said Hansel and Gretel on them. If they didn't, I'll eat my hat. Just like Werner Herzog. Someone do a Werner Herzog type documentary. Because he ate a shoe. He'll eat a hat next. I don't know. Wouldn't he still do it? I mean, he's got a Star Wars action figure of him now. He'll do anything. So we'll, we'll do something like that. Um, and I really... I mean, I'm, I don't... I, I do, I guess I really want to inspire you to do the documentary because I'd love to see it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm lazy, um, which, which is sad, but hopefully, uh, I also, uh, I maintain the legal loophole of, I never wear hats. What, what is a hat to me? It could be like a Lady Gaga type hat. It's a piece of steak. There you go. Maybe that's the hat I want to wear today. I wanted, you know. You know, New York strip steak fashion week type thing. Maybe that's just, just who I am at the moment. I, I don't mind embracing, you know. So I'll f try to figure out a way to not do it. But yeah, somebody do that. Um, and then the next retraction and correction is that 
the area, the, there used to be a shopping district in Oakland called the Bret Hart Boardwalk. And Bret Hart, although he sounds like, he sounds like a mean, like when I was like, who's Bret Hart? I was expecting like a mean jock, but it turns out, you know, Bret Hart, I feel like he'd like, you know, he'd slap you with a towel in the locker room, but no, he was a writer who was like, kind of like a Mark Twain uh, and he's from here and there was a shopping district called the Bret Hart Boardwalk where it was it was it was built by a house near where he spent some time and uh, it looks like it was fun there's a article that says a haven of tranquility in Oakland and it has a close-up of someone holding a lobster, and I'm like, I don't know if that looks really, and everything's shot with the fisheye lens too. I don't know if that really makes me feel tranquil, uh, but that's what they're claiming. And they're ooh, Co- Colonel Starbottles Cafe. Oh, that's that's a cafe and bar named for a Bret Hart character, but that that's like a proto Starbucks. But that's just a different author. Well. Uh, there you go. Star bottle, Starbucks. There's a who? Who? Wait, that's a retraction correction next week. Who? Who came first? Maybe, but, but if it piece, my heart's like a Mark Twain type guy. Maybe Star bottle is like a pair. I don't know. We'll we'll find out. But yeah, uh, there was uh, there's a lot of fancy stuff there. There was a tea room. Ooh, Roaring Camp Cafe. Um, and the, the, the buildings are still there, and there's some businesses in them, but they don't really use that Monica nowadays. And you can go visit it. Uh, you can look around. There used to be all the time streetlights, but they got rid of them in 2008, which is real sad. But it looks like it was cute. Apparently, uh, uh, some trivia is that Star of TV's Lassie and later Lost in Space June. Ooh, Lockhart. No relation to Bret Hart. Um, she visited the boardwalk in 1964. Or maybe she wasn't. She was a, a, a Nepo baby. But she was reportedly thinking of buying into the project. And columnist Bill Fissett. Ooh, the Bill Fissett. A Bret Hart of his day. Notes that she did not bring Lassie with her. Um, and... Yeah, I want to know more about this too. Oakland, what a a weird little place. Speaking of weird little places in the Bay Area, uh, one weird little place is BFF.FM. I mean, the fact they'd let a show like this be on the air tells you exactly what you need to know about the morals and uh, scruples of these people. And if you want to keep things weird because the barrier is rapidly getting less weird and you know because of the gentrifications and all that junk uh you can support bfff.fm by sending them a donation and by listening to the following part of the script that i will actually read from correctly unlike i usually do Anyways, have you considered donating to BFF.FM yet? You should! Not only is this such a unique community radio station that reflects and respects the diversity of the Bay Area, but it keeps weirdos like me distracted so we don't release footage from the long-lost porno 
Dick Clark's nude rear shocking everybody with Ryan Seabrest. Woo, scandalous. We do not, however, need to see that bald prop. Uh, I didn't even have to change his name. It's already naughty. Anyways, get yourself down to bff.fm slash donate when you can send a one-time donation or set up a monthly recurring donation and be our bestie with benefits. I don't know why the last few ads have been so scintillating. I guess I'm really trying to be like, see, you know, we are your bestie with benefits. Donate. And you, you want to keep this a nice, chill thing that, you know, you can just hang out with whenever you want. Never going to, you know, not going to be weird about it. Always there for you. You can donate to our extracurricular uh, donation by going to bff.fm slash 2023. And it'll be more, it's more long-term sustainable stuff. Uh, And anyways, I do realize I have two more retractions and corrections, and then I will get to the wacky fact, because these are also very important, because did you know, they're kind of wacky facts in and of themselves that... What is that? Did you know Bruce Willis actually started off as a comedic actor and he wasn't an action one? His starring role was in Moonlighting opposite Sybil Shepherd, and that's what com- uh, you know established him as a comedic actor and uh, when he was starring in Die Hard, that was a risk and they were just like, you know, we're having a hard time. Well, even with the first one with Moonlighting, they're like, we can't we're having a hard time you know, casting for the show, and then Bruce Willis shows up and they're like, perfect. And then the same thing happened with Die Hard. And, you know, uh, it was a big risk when he was in it, but it worked out. And now everyone's like, Bruce Willis, he's only an action hero. But it was uh, his comedic ability that helped him get the job because he was like, ah, suck it to me, Plaza, you know? That was what helped him get it. So yeah, he's he's originally a comedic actor. Uh, Anyways, speaking of the misunderstood in Hollywood, this final retraction and correction is that, no, the the shipping cranes or whatever in Oakland Harbor, I don't know, uh... They're, they're not the inspiration for the ads in Star Wars. George Lucas said no. Absolutely not. But the guy who played Yoda learned how to puppeteer out here. So we've got that, if anything. Plus, if you want, I mean, you don't, you can still be like, that's who they are. Like, they can still be the Star Wars guys to you. If you want them to be, they will be to me. Um, you know... I always see them on my way to like Tatooine and out from my current location because I gotta go that way to go to In-N-Out, damn it, in Alameda. Anyways, if you're hearing somebody complain about going to Alameda and not wanting to have to go to Alameda, then you must be listening to a Harry Home Companion here on BFF.FM with me, Donna Arky, your gay lumbardope. For the eve, this this uh, New Year's Eve, this nude Year's Eve, ooh, uh, uh, Gay Lombardo indeed, Gay Lombardo indeed, indeed. Uh, then we will do this if if we want to hear about the real Guy Lombardo, who's uh, Royal Canadians inspired an annual American tradition. 
Uh, you will now pay attention uh, as I read f directly from the script for your educational fulfillment. We I have a responsibility as like uh, doing something on New Year's Eve. I'm like a parent to like baby New Year. You can't traumatize the baby because they're going to have problems forever all year until they're you know old and dead uh, and then you're, you're, that's real sad poor well maybe well maybe that's why we all give up by february because by like you know baby time standards it's like middle age okay that makes sense we'll just we're just rapidly aging here uh, but yeah we can't traumatize the baby so we gotta do the show right Damn it. And uh, I will now read from the script. Our first segment is Wacky Facts. Latin name, Wackiest Facts. Because then the baby's going to have to go to therapy forever and do all this. And, th and they're going to hate you. And then you probably deserved it. But anyways, uh, but to prevent that, I will now really read from the script. Our first segment is Wacky Facts. Latin name, Wackiest Facticus. Each week, my stone ass learns you... A weird and interesting fact about every subject possible, from animals to history and everything in between. This week's fact, uh, turns out that the tradition of singing Old Lang Syne on New Year's, even though it's a very, you know, uh, it's a very sweet and cute tradition. Like, why are these all, all these Americans singing a Scottish song, first of all? And it's a real sad one, too. Well, you'd be like, oh, it probably comes from a really cute thing that happened like a million years ago. And this is such a warm and wonderful tradition to share throughout time where you are just like, damn, being human, it's tough. But it being tough is the good part, I guess, because it makes you appreciate things. Well, that's what you tell yourself if you're in 17th century Scotland. Because, like, you know, they don't have the spawn yet. And things are real hard. And you get weird senses of doom and foreboding. Because I think it was very weird and also very 90s. Where, like, Mike Myers was able to become famous as a comedian for doing his version of, like, diaspora comedy. You know what I was complaining about last week. But, you know, it's like when it's like, ah, I'm Middle Eastern. My comedy is going to be me doing imitations of my immigrant parents. Well, he was doing that too, but like a white people version. Maybe that's how you can trace the rise of neoliberalism. It's like, you know, so many comedians like Lou Anderson and all of these people, like they've done comedy being, oh, family circus, damn it. Like, haha, families. White uh, Americans, urban, suburban families are a sense of fun and humor. And that's how we're gonna make money. Uh, because we're like, you know what's relatable to everybody? White people. And then, the, but then the neoliberalism, they're like, okay, well, we want to basically be like, do, we want to like look good while we do that. So we'll just be like, oh, we'll do representation of marginalized people so that we can, you know, like for, you know, like in some cases, like, build over their ancestral burial grounds in Hawaii and making money off the representation because, you know, we represent, you, know, you have to have the cruises and the this, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, 
Uh, and then, oh, but then we can we can make white people, like, you know, the white suburban people, they'd be like, yeah, you're getting educated. Like, ooh, see, you can see how they're like, you know, it's like a weird neoliberal thing. Maybe that's what's going on. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, that's what the rise of diaspora comedy and you get like that that guy who that one comedian who ended up lying about his life and stealing stories and stuff because there's no pressure to perform those tropes and you gotta do what you gotta do and like unfortunately when that becomes like a predominant form of comedy for BIPOC people it it, it creates limitations on like what voices can be heard and like what they get to do and that's why i was like real excited about nandor from what we do in the shadows because he's like i'm like damn like you are a middle eastern character running character running like me uh who's not doing those tropes and not just imitating their parents but i'm like but it's like literally like us imitating our parents is like you know white people were imitating the parents and you know that was like the height of comedy so it's just like oh there you go that's how you could you could trace like emergences of uh certain things and there you go uh but i could be absolutely wrong but before when all of that was uh, manifesting as a phenomenon in like the early 90s you would get comedians like mike myers who like turned the like i'm a comedian talking about my family he made it like cool and sexy like i tried to watch so i married an axe murderer like because he used to be like the cool sexy like funny come guy before he became the hat and the cat in the hat scary guy um well and let me like shrek shrek has a fucking scottish accent shrek in the original book i don't think he's specifically scottish but that was just like a mac myers being daring and sexy by a big scottish uh, uh you know but like he like when i watched so i married a max murderer i had like turned it off because i just got so irritated with how much his like ah my my parents are funny but they just happen to be Scottish immigrants. Like, how that played such a prominent... And I was like, I can't do it. Like, he's been making Scottish jokes that make no sense to me for the last, like, 20 minutes. And I... All I've... The only... I really like how it's... I mean, it's so 90s and sexy and cool. Like, it's set in a... There's a Java house. And uh, he does spoken word poetry and refers to Saturday morning cartoons and sex. He's real cool and sexy in the early 90s very funny and i like it because i grew up in the bay area in the 90s and it does that 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 like the java house with the the cappuccino that's like the size of a huge bowl and super foamy and has you know no, you can't find cappuccinos like that anymore around uh seeing that really takes me back to a time uh, but the rest of the movie, I've never seen it. I don't want to. I can't handle it. That's just all that's got you. Well, if you were in 17th century Scotland, you were dealing with the premonitions and foreboding and doom of that on top of everything else. So that's why you get all the messages in the songs like Auld Lang Syne. And yeah, why do Americans do that? Well, uh, Canadians were uh, the ones to blame because Guy Lombardo... Uh, who sounds, who now sounds like a cute household character. Well, he was more of like a 
sleazy character because he's like, I will perform this song in 1929 for a cigar sponsorship. Oh, he was in Big Tobacco's, you know, pocket. Wow. Oh, but maybe I'm being too harsh because he did perform it for the first time right after the stock market crash. And he was just like, I need money. And, you know, I need some tobacco. If they're going to offer it to me, I'll take it. And he she took it. And uh, he is the reason Old Lang Syne is just the song that it is. Because uh, the, it wasn't like a standard or anything. Like, it was kind of a little bit more like him being like, here are the offerings of canada like if you want to enjoy some canadian jazz well you're gonna listen to this oh 18th not 17th century well still they were like we're directly responsible for cat in the hat and the love guru i don't know so i don't blame them for being like you know we gotta be real sad and winsome this but joyful this new year's um uh, it, it was it, it was a song based off of a poem by Scottish 18th century Scottish poet Robert Burns. Um, it was traditionally sung by Scottish people when friends parted, um, and that must have been real stressful if you're at a party and like you know you're having a mehmuni and then. You know, that's how Iranians, that's how we party. It's a very specific kind of party. And then everybody's, like, taking their time leaving, and you gotta sing it every damn time they leave. Uh, but again, maybe they're just like, oh, I, I don't know if, you know, I really want to deal with Austin Power 3 uh, and all that entails. So uh, I see why they, they were really just providing a lot of community support. Um... But yeah, it was because Guy Lombardo lived in southwestern Ontario where there was a lot of Scottish immigrants. And, uh, huh, those Scottish immigrants in Canada, like Mike Myers, really have too much of an impact on American culture. I mean, the Auld Lang Syne is cute. I love it. It's real sensitive and poetic. But Mike Myers, like, come on, that's too much. I guess you gotta have one cute thing. And then you're gonna have one bad thing. That's life, baby. You know, Frank Sinatra was was right. That's life. You gotta have to deal with these Scottish immigrants to Canada really impacting your life. It's a Wayne's World, I guess. I mean, Wayne's World is good. And then, but then the love guru. Why? How did that happen? Like, where do you go wrong in life to get to that point? But one person who didn't go wrong in their life when introducing America to uh, Scottish people's habits and rituals was Guy Lombardo because he was just like, you know, this is just a, a general, you know, I, I think if I want to represent a cute Canadian thing uh, in, in a jazz song, it'll be this. And then he just did a really, he did a really good job performing it. And like, you know, Guy Lombardo said that he just, he just thought he was gonna play it in Canada. He didn't think he was gonna play it in America, but uh, he really wanted to get the cigar sponsorship because he didn't have any money. Poor guy. It was the Great Depression. 
So he was like, wait a second. Hey, this cigar company is called uh, the, the, the national radio program was called the Robert Burns Panatella Show on CBS. And the, the guy who wrote Aldling signed his name Robert Burns. And I, I guess we're trying to encourage for next week. Do they mean to name a cigar Robert Burns? Because that's very funny. Pun intended or not. We don't know. Very sassy. So, uh, the guy Lombardo was like, this is it. This is my moment to truly be Canadian. I could use this knowledge of Robert Burns to my advantage, and I will perform it uh, for the radio show, being like, "Ha, huh, Robert! B- this is Robert Burns for Robert Burns for Robert Burns." Was it like who was the Robert Burns Panatella? Well, we'll find out next week because now we gotta find out. So, okay, now we know why he performed that song in America. You know what? Then, but how did it become real? popular and this is like a jocks versus the nerds type situation because uh the way that the Aldling sign became a very popular like cemented in American tradition song was that Guy Lombardo was like some kind of like you know in, in a John Belushi like manner he was a blues brother who ended up at an animal house in the comedy called Life, because he and his band uh, started getting more popular and in 1930, they gotta perform, you know, they were like, ooh, we, we gotta show at in Charlottesville, at, at Charlottesville, home of the University of Virginia. And they were, they were playing uh, the party and then they're like, you know what, let's let's throw in Old Lang Syne again. Why, why the hell not? Like it went over well last time. And then everybody at the party, all the, <coughs> ooh, pardon me, all just the everybody, like they were just like, yes, all leg side, all leg side, like play it again and again, like, you know, we we want to hear its best song, and we're just gonna demand it, and then. Guy Lombardo's like, sure, I guess we're Canadian, we're polite, we'll keep playing it over and over and over. And they just kept doing it over and over and over. And then he just like was like, why? He's just like stepped down from the podium and he's like, why do, why do you guys like, I've like, played it 30 times for you already. Why? Do you want it to hear it so much again and again? And they're like, you, eh, well, it's our fight song for their university. I don't know what any of my school's fight songs are because I don't know or care. But it, Auld Lang Syne is that's a pretty s- a sad one for university. I guess, you know, maybe it's like an ITT text type situation. You know, like, you, you know they're not going anywhere. You gotta, you, you know, you gotta sing a real sad song to get people riled up to want to like murder each other at football i'm assuming because why else would you be fighting unless it was like street fighting ah like a school of hard knocks i see school of life you know the 21st jump street of fate the school of the street well i guess there's more to this west side story because you know street fighting and singing you're either a jet or a shark or you're a you know, a student from the University of uh, Virginia and specifically, and you know, you're attending a show being played by Guy Lombardo 
because basically, so it turns out their their fight song wasn't Auld Lang Syne exactly. It was a song called The Good Old Song that had the same tune as the Scottish folk song, but instead of saying should old acquaintance be forgot and the days of Auld Lang Syne, uh, the students here heard let's all join hands and give a yell so it was a kind of a case of mistaken identity but it worked out for them and then guy lombardo was like that night was so fun like after we we had like a uh, you know th this was during the like boo this was the booze years even indeed the booze soaked after party after the non-alcoholic one where everyone's just like yeah play it again play it and like they're just like we had so much fun being real canadian for all of these guys that we just decided that we would do a tribute every year to that frat party uh on the college campus but it turns out that guy lombardo is actually not the first person to play old lang sign at New Year's because people have been doing it as early as the 1880s and they would sing the song as the clocks chimed in Scotland. Oh, so romantic. And uh, they, would, they would they would play it and then uh, they, they got they had bells, you know, do it in 1890. And uh, but the thing is, is that like usually when they would play the song it would be really loud and no one would hear it so guy lombardo just happened to again more like guy luck bardo i don't what's his deal he should buy lottery tickets but no maybe it's kind of like a luck like but also a curse because basically he got kind of trapped as being the new year's guy because you know in 1965 like somebody wrote like if he's if if guy lombardo isn't playing his his sweet smooth jazz on new year's eve you know at midnight then it's not really new year's um but by then his music was super out of fashion so he became kind of like the sad he really was mr new year's oh and uh yeah he just kind of but he kind of became trapped there that was just him forever like no one's gonna listen to his like experimental album you know and like there's, and then like what else does he do he just hangs out and then he waits till it's new year's and then he's really important i guess that's like dick clark in his later years you just sometimes like they'll really fall the times wow whoa the american psyche is really at work oh boy yeah we it was a very unhealthy relationship too we're like hello old white man you get stuck being like a literal father time father figure for new years and that's just where you are and then that boy see this is why i told you you gotta be good parents to baby New Year's. Don't listen to this show, cause you're gonna get bad luck. Cause you gotta parent this year well, otherwise you get trapped in these cycles. So, you know, I mean, I don't mean to be a bad news bear, but this is a Harry home companion with me, Donna Arky here on BFF.FM with four 
three, two, one, and happy New Year's! Uh, minutes left in the show because it's New Year's Eve, and oh, I got too high, and oh boy, it's going to be real hard to do things later, but I have to do it. I have to be social because that's the fun of New Year's Eve, and then I have to show up with my Martinelli's just for me, and then they say over and over and over, like thousands of times, and I know I'm not a dumb baby. No, it's not happening for a sad reason, no. Yeah, it's like the cilantro thing, it's a genetic, oh yeah, it just tastes gross. Yeah, it's, this is just drink Manischewitz, and I didn't even really like it that much, it was real hot. I would have a creme de cassis with some Sprite once in a while, I don't know, a tonic, I don't remember, sparkling water, I don't remember what I put in it. But I was really, I was giving it a good college try, just like Guy Lombardo, like I was really attempting to be like i i i can do this but it just didn't work out for me so that's why you know i am doing this more liver friendly approach to being inebriated and you know showing you my nude rear like, talking out of my ass uh here on new year's eve and yeah we did it 2023 terrible Hopefully you can find yourself doing some kind of clearly Faustian dealings that Guy Lombardo is doing. You know, how symbolic and weird is that? Uh, to get to get his fame. Um, you know, I just feel bad for the guy. But do you think, like, he embraced it? Like, did he live in, like, a New Year's-themed house? Or did he just, like, try to stay away? Or maybe, maybe he had other benches. Or maybe he was just, you know, I, I don't know. Well, uh, I'll, I'll find out next week to know to see if Guy Lombardo uh, had, you know, any capacities in society outside of being, you know, like, you know, the New Year's guy. Like, uh, Ryan Seacrest, well, Ryan Seacrest isn't there. He has a more varied life. He's still got his radio show, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm not part of the population where Ryan Seacrest pops up naturally for me a lot. So, but I know, I think he's still pretty active. He still looks good. He still looks young. You know, they're very, you know, uh, very, he's very Oedipal of America, really. But that's what we've got to do sometimes. He's an American idol for a reason. All right? Damn it. And, uh... Yeah, I love you all. Happy New Year's. Eat good. Eat a lot of good food. Don't stress out. It's fine. Uh, free Palestine. And uh, learn about what's going on in Iran with the Women Life Freedom Movement. And the protests going on.